morning. It is good to see you all. Uh, I'm, I'm going to get better at this. My, my heart's all pumping. I'm all fired up right now, and I've got to catch my breath even to preach a sermon. This is something else excited for today. Uh, I'm also excited for something else I want to share. Um, 28, 29 years ago uh, at Holland Hills Baptist Church down off Council Norfolk Expressway, uh, I was sitting at church, and a children's volunteer uh, that was in there sat with me and asked me if I knew Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, which I said no. She began to walk me through what it looked like to be saved and process with me and talk with me. And right then and there, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ. And uh, that lady's name is Miss Joanna Hughes, and she's actually here. I'm not trying to embarrass you, uh, but she came out today to visit and just uh, see. Um, Jerry, don't scare her off, please, okay? Um, I don't tell that to embarrass her or anything, but I want to say this. A lot of times we don't see the fruit of our labor. And we, we plant and we don't realize what is sown or what, what actually ends up going on or after that. And it's just a living testament. Had she not been faithful that day to ask me where God was stirring, I might not be here today. And the effects it's had on my family, my kids, the lineage, everything from that. And you guys sometimes don't realize that either. I was talking to Brian and Donna Sewell the other day who have been serving in the children's ministry department forever, it seems like. And I said, my years in student ministry, they, they don't realize how many kids I sat with and talked their testimony. And, and time and time again, oh, yeah, it was with Brian and Donna Sewell. Oh, it was a Brian and Donna Sewell story. L listen, don't take that for granted. You just never realize the effects you're seeing. You'll never know the fruit that comes years and years later from it. So uh, thank you for that. So... Uh, so I don't get emotional because I'm a tough guy. Let's jump into a sermon. If you have your Bibles to John chapter 9, we'll be there. Uh, as we're continuing our series called On Mission, I'll explain that more here in just a little bit. Uh, but uh, as, as we're jumping into it, I want to ask you something to kind of unite and, and clarify some things in the room. I, I want to hear about your experience uh, or just think through your experience. I'm going to put some pictures up of some major events that took place. And I just want you to think of your experience the first time you heard the news of this, what was going on in your life and stuff. And I want to share my experience with you as well. And so, so here's the first one I have. Maybe you remember this, maybe don't, is the OKC bombing that took place. Do you remember that? Where were you when you first heard about that? What was going on in your life? I'm about to make some of you guys feel old, I'm telling you right now, but... I was in third grade when I heard about it. Uh, I, I didn't know what was going on. We were sitting in class. I knew something was going on because everyone started acting funny. Teachers coming in and out. There's a lot of whispering going on. Kids were suddenly leaving the classes. We didn't know. Well, I went to Mustang schools. Uh, and, and, you know, when we found out later that day, saw a lot of emotional parents coming in that day. Weeks to come, found other kids who had actually lost parents in our school uh, in that situation. It was just a unique experience I had that yours is different, but it's, it's amazing the same event, how, how there's something that we have in common in that. Or here's another one that maybe you might remember, the 9-11 when that took place. Where, where were you, what were you doing when you heard about that and saw the news on that? Again, we'll make some of you feel old and some of y'all feel young. I was a sophomore in high school sitting in, in my math class. And word starts spreading off, and our teacher turned on the news channel, and we're watching this building burn, and then we're watching lives, another plane crashes into it. And, and the rest of the day, from class to class to class we go to, we, we don't do it, we just, that's all we're doing is watching the news all day. It was just a very surreal situation we're in, but I, but I remember my experience vividly. I remember sitting in that class, and, and teachers not really knowing what to say, what to do in that moment. I mean, no, no one was prepared for that. Like, what do you do with that? Or one that maybe... 
might get a little uncomfortable for some, or the first time that you realize COVID might be a bigger deal than what people were making out to be. I'll never forget, for us, it was in March. Uh, we had an elders meeting, and we heard this rummaging, this word about COVID going on. And I remember leaving, we, we were laughing in the elders meeting, like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy and stuff. And, and, and we were joking about it and stuff, and we left that meeting, and I pick up my phone, and I see this picture that the Oklahoma City Thunder game had been closed down because of a reported COVID case from one of the players. And I vividly remember, uh, I hate to say driving on the road, but honestly, I was driving down the road and texting the elders, and I said, I think this might be a bigger deal than what we let on. Little did I know what would come after that. All, all of us, what's interesting about that, I tell you this is this, we each have a different experience of the same event, right? All of you have already walked around and your story. You would have an experience. Uh, it's the same event, <coughs> but it's a different situation in your life where you heard it, how it affected you and what took on. Like, understand this. While the event is what matters, our, our stories is often what brings it to life, right? It's what makes it feel real and not like just some disconnected piece of history that's going on. Like, I'll never forget, for a class project in high school, I was asked to interview someone I respected, and so I got to interview my great-grandpa, uh, Grandpa Brian. And, and I sit, and I'm asking about him growing up and what it was like as a kid, and I remember studying all sorts of stuff about history, and, and he told me about when he was a kid living through the Dust Bowl and what that was like. He, he told me about coming to Oklahoma on a covered wagon, and just my mind was blown. Here's someone, I, I mean, I've always read about that, I've heard about that, but suddenly there was something real life because someone I knew had experienced that, right? You see, our stories makes things come to life. Stories matter. And, and the point I want you to understand is this, it's important that we share them. The, the connection I'm getting to is we've been going through a series that's been focused on the multiply aspect of our vision. Multiply is our desire to sometimes multiply the church. But can I tell you, that all starts from us multiplying disciples. We believe healthy believers will make other believers. We believe healthy disciples will make other healthy disciples. We believe healthy connecting groups will multiply and make other healthy connecting groups. In the same breath, we believe healthy churches will multiply and make other healthy churches. And it all starts from the hunger and desire to see people getting saved. So he's doing this series called On Mission. And the whole point behind it is this, is all of us hunger and desire for missions. Our last business meeting, that came up because we realized that missions was lacking here. And people said, well, what are we, we going to do? And our minds immediately go to foreign places and what we're going to do. And the reality is this, that the best mission environment we have is right here where we live in our own neighborhoods. We pay all sorts of money to send missionaries all over the world to establish relationships and trust, to more or less to establish what you already have with the people in your life right now, day in, day out. And if you would just look at your life differently and say, God, you've placed me here, how do you want to use me? How can I reach the people around me? How can I make a difference? What would happen? And so we've been challenging you to do that, to be on mission for the last four weeks we've been going through. And we've talked about four things we're going through, how we see, how we serve, how we share, and how we save. This week, I wanted to, here's my challenge for you is this, is to share your story. Share your story. That's the big idea, if you will. Now, I say that, you might say, why do we need to share our story? It's just as I told you before, our stories bring the Bible to life to others. It makes this piece of history, this story right here, not feel like some disconnected stories that are obscure in history to real life to me right now. As a matter of fact, Scripture even speaks to this. 
In Luke chapter 24, verse 46 through 49, Jesus is talking to his disciples as he's about to send them out. And he's telling them, like, listen, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer, I'm going to be resurrected, all this is going to happen. I'm going to bring repentance and forgiveness. And here's what he says in verse 48, listen, and you are going to be the witnesses to these things. He's like, these things will be proclaimed to all the nations by you. As a matter of fact, there's another text in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5.20. He says this, Paul says this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on God's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, God has placed, if you've had an experience with Jesus Christ, if you have been through this, listen, can I say something? You have a story to share. It's important we tell it. Because people have no interest in this until they see someone's life has been drastically affected by it. And they're like, tell me more. And, and so today I want to look at a story of a blind beggar in John chapter 9 who has a story. And I want you to see components of his story and what it looks like and encourage you in your own story. Or, or maybe here's this. Listen, for some of you, maybe to convict you of whether or not you even have a story. And today, listen, I'm just going to plant the seed right now. Today might be a day that you need to come make a decision like this, whether it be through salvation to realize that I have not professed faith in Jesus Christ and given my life to him, or maybe you say, I have, but I've kept it hidden. I haven't been obedient in faithful obedience and been baptized as I should. And so John chapter 9, open your Bibles there. We're going to read through the whole text. As my throat tries to dry out, but we're going to make it through. John chapter 9 <coughs> says this. As he was passing by, he saw a man blind from birth. That's an important detail we'll come back to. It says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus answered. This came about so that God's work might be displayed in him. Like, we must do works of him who sent me while it's day, but night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. After he said these things, he spit on the ground, made some mud from saliva, and spread the mud on his eyes. Can we stop and just say, ooh, right? I don't care who you are. That, that's the original Greek word for it right there. It's ooh. That's disgusting, okay? <clears throat> Verse 7, he says, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he left, washed, and came back seeing. His neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar said, like, isn't this the one who used to sit begging? Some said he's the one. Others were saying, nah, but he, but he looks like him. He kept saying, I, I, I'm the one. So they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, told me to go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. Where is he, they asked. I don't know, he said. They brought the man who used to be blind to the Pharisees. The day that Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes was a Sabbath. And the Pharisees asked him, like, how again, uh, how he received his sight? He put mud on my eyes, he told him, and I washed, now I can see. So the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he doesn't keep the Sabbath. But others were saying, like, how can a sinful man perform such signs? And there was divisions among them. Again, they asked the blind man, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? He's a prophet, he said. The Jews did not believe this about him, that he was blind and received sight, until they summoned the parents of the one who had received his sight. And they asked them, is this your son, the one you say was born blind? How then does he now see? We know this is our son and that he was born blind, his parents answered. <coughs> but we do not know how he sees and we don't know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. 
His parents said these things because they were afraid of the Jews, since the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed him as Messiah, he'd be banned from the synagogue. This is why his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So a second time they summoned the man who had been blind and told him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. And he answered, like, whether, he is, whether or not he is a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How, how did he open your eyes? He's like, I, I already told you, he said, and you didn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? You don't want to become this, this man's disciples, do you? They ridiculed him. You're that man's disciple, but we're Moses' disciples. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we don't know where he's from. This, this is an amazing thing, the man told them. You, you don't know where he's from, yet he opened, me, opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him, right? Like throughout history, no one has ever heard of someone opening the eyes of a person born blind. If this man were not from God, he would not, wouldn't be able to do anything. You're born entirely into sin, they replied, and you're trying to teach us, and then they threw him out. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown the man out, and when he found him, he asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him, he asked. Jesus answered, you have seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. He says, I believe, Lord, he said, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, I came to the world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see, and those who do see will become blind. Some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these things and asked, we aren't blind too, are we? If you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sin. But now that you say we see, your sin remains. What an interesting and weird story. Okay, let's just own it. This is a weird story, but it's fascinating. It's fascinating. It's a man's experience. We, we learn a lot from this blind beggar. I told you at the beginning that, that he was born blind was an important element to the story. You see, it tees off. His disciples come, and they're trying, to pro, they're trying to have a theological discussion, if you will. And they see this man born blind. He's begged. Everyone knows who he is. And they said, we have a question to ask. This man right here, why is he blind? That they had by popular belief that if you had physical elements or were born with defects of any kind of sort, that there must have been sin somewhere in the lineage, in the line, that would have caused this to happen. Now, now, listen, from teeing up the question, you would clearly think his parents must have sinned. Because if he was born blind, how could God be punishing him for something that hasn't even happened yet? And so it must be his parents, and they're teeing him up. Like, his parents must have sinned, so, so this is why he's blind. Jesus stops him and says, listen, that, that's not the case. That's not the case. Is this man was born blind for this very moment and this purpose. Now, now I, before I jump into a lot of stuff, I want to tackle a theological challenge right here. So some people still struggle with this. If bad things happen to me, it must be because of my sin in my life. And that is not always the case. You do see that time in Scripture, but that's not always the case. You see situations like Job, what God said about him, and he's, he's a righteous man. There's no one on the earth like him. Nor will I say this. In this situation, Jesus said he is blind. He has gone through this for this purpose so that it could be used for the glory. Nor is someone suffering so they can just be an example used by God. That's not all the time situation either. The reason we have stuff like that in the world where we have sin and stuff is because we live in a fallen world that is so corrupted that we can't even begin to fathom that with the, the best that we can. It is so affected and marred by the sins of mankind that it affects every aspect and God at times chooses to intervene in some cases and not in others. And I can't understand why, but I trust in the sovereignty of God in those things. But in this situation, he says that in this situation, God had a purpose for a story of what was going on. 
And what do we learn from this blind beggar? This beggar, first and foremost, he has a story. I want you to understand that. Look at verse 1 through 12. Every believer has a story. Notice what's going on. This guy is begging. They're having a conversation. Can you imagine him not being able to see and yet hearing the conversations around him as they talk about him? They're going, hey, this guy right here, who's the sinner, him or his parents? I mean, imagine carrying that baggage for years and years, begging for money, and everyone assuming it must because you're a sinner or your grandparents or family is a sinner. That's why you're in the situation you're in. And they're talking about their process, and Jesus begins to pipe up and talk to them about what's going on. And in this man's story, there are three parts I want you to see. You see in verse 1 through 5, his life before meeting Jesus. He's probably lived his entire life believing that he was a sinner or has come from a lineage of sin, that he was not good enough. He's begging. He's desperate. He needs help. And Jesus shows up in verse 6. See, the second part of the story is he has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus comes. He sees him. He spits on the ground, makes some mud, rubs it in his eyes and said, I want you to go clean. Listen, we'll get to that in a minute, but that's disgusting. I don't care who you are, that's disgusting. And he has this encounter with Jesus. And it says, that's interesting, Jesus tells him to go to this pool, this Siloam pool, which means to be sent. And it's interesting because he's not healed as he goes. He's healed after he goes in obedience and does what Jesus asked him to do. After he washes, he what, can suddenly see you see verse 7 and on, the story after he meets Jesus. I, I once was blind, but now I see because of Jesus. Three different times he tells his testimony. Look at verse 11. He says it one there. The man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and told me, go to Siloam and wash. When I went and washed, I received my sight. He tells the story a second time, verse 15. He says, he put mud on my eyes, he told me to wash, and now I can see. He says it again in verse 25, three different times as expert, he tells his story. Whether or not he's a sinner, I don't know, but one thing I do know, I was blind and now I can see. That's all I know. That's all the story I got. I can see now. You explain it to me. I, I want you to understand when it comes to this that every believer has a story. And every believer has a unique story. His story is unique and at the same time common. Just as I shared situations in history, there's a common thread we all have, but each of us have a unique story. What do I mean? Think about this. Who else has a story of Jesus spitting my face, huh? Anybody else got that one in the room? Please raise your hand right now because I'd love to talk to you. Yeah, my story starts like this. I'm begging for uh, food, getting help. Jesus suddenly spits on the ground, starts rubbing the dadgum stuff in my eye, and here I am. None of us have that story. But how many of us have the same story that he does, that Jesus healed and saved me? It's a common thread. Well, listen, the important thing you need to understand is this, is that you have a story, and it's important that you share your story. Or, or maybe I should phrase it like this. Do you have a story to share? See, this man has a story. And you see the next part, he begins to share it, verse 13 through 33. He begins to tell people, and, and, and he doesn't know all the answers. My second point is this. You can have a story and not know everything. They, they begin to ask him. As a matter of fact, you see in verse 16, they're saying, how? Verse 17, they're saying, what? And he answers ultimately in verse 25, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how it happened. I was blind, but now I can see. I can't explain it. I mean, can you explain this, why Jesus did this? Why did he spit on the ground and rub dirt in his eyes? I looked at commentaries trying to understand. Here's some different explanations they might have. Number one might be this. Maybe it was a sensory thing. 
He was blind and he couldn't experience it. Maybe from Jesus doing it, he could hear him speeding. He could feel it being rubbed. He could hear Jesus packing the dirt together. Maybe it was a century thing so that he could fully and even more so experience the situation that the average person couldn't. Maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe Jesus was just doing this to challenge the Pharisees who were there. Who their whole focus is like, hey, it's a Sabbath. Do they care about him healing the man? No, what, he's making mud pies. Like, we can't make mud pies on the Sabbath. That's not what we do. This man's living in sin. Maybe he's challenging tradition so they can see what they're doing is wrong. Maybe that's why Jesus did it specifically here. Maybe he did it because he heals in so many different ways. He didn't want people to get stuck on this is the one way how people are healed. There's a variety of different ways. Maybe he's trying to do that. Maybe I love some commentary said that it's pointing Jesus back to Genesis 1 and 2 when God created the heavens and the earth through the words he speak and took dust from the ground. And by him doing this, you see this same thing happen, him being the son of God, God himself doing what God did. Maybe that's it. Here's the real answer right here. Ready? I don't know. You know why I don't know? Because they don't know. They're, they're wrestling all through it. How does this happen? Give, give someone else credit. I mean, 8, verse 19 through 21, 24 through 5. They can't explain it. But here's the thing I want you to understand. Listen, you can have a story and not know everything. You don't have to explain every little detail. Let me say it another way. Don't let what you can't explain discredit what you can't deny. Don't let what you can't explain discredit what you can't deny. I, I don't know how it happened. But, but I can tell you this. Listen, I, I was blind. Okay? And, and now I can, I can see. I can see you. I, I can see you shouldn't be wearing that wardrobe together. I can see everything going on. Don't, don't let it stop you from that. Can't deny that I'm a different person now. Listen, when it comes to your testimony, can people tell a difference in your life? Do, do you lose credibility to tell your story because people look at you and go, you're no different. You just got dunked in some water, man. That's, you just took a public bath. That's weird. Or, or do you go and say, listen, there, there's a difference in me. A testimony doesn't require a seminary degree. You don't have to have a collegiate experience. You don't have to know all the ins and outs. You just have to know, listen, I experienced something with God that defies logic and has changed my life. And there's freedom in coming and say, I, I don't know. But I do know what I experienced. I love, and I've shown this video clip before. I'm sorry, illustrations are sometimes hard to come by and some just hit them home great. But there's a video clip I love by Alistair Begg as he talks about the thief on a cross and his experience. And I want you to listen to what he describes about it and how, listen, you don't have to know all the details, but you have to know key things. Go ahead and play that video if you can. Think about the thief on the cross. Oh, what an immense, <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you were, you were, you were, you were cussing the guy out with your friend. You'd never been in a Bible study. You'd never got baptized. You, never, you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said, you know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, did, <laughs> excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor, Ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? 
guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, uh, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually, in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, the man on the middle cross said, I can come. Man, what a powerful story. And how often do we get caught up from telling people our story because we don't know all the doctors, we don't know all the feel, we don't know all the details. Listen, you don't need to know everything. You just need to know what happened in your life. Th this is what I experienced. And, and listen, there, there's a freeing thing to look at people and they respect it more when I, come, when I found this in my life and you go, I don't know. But, but I'd love for you to come and search with me. You, you just share your story. And we're so caught up that we, we dismiss it. And the important thing is this, listen, that you share your story. I ask you again this question, do you have a story to share? Do you know your story? So not only does every believer, every believer has a story, not only can uh, you can have a story, not know everything, the last thing I want you to see in this man's situation after he gets grilled and questioned and literally kicked out of the synagogue is this, rejection doesn't make it a bad story. We're so scared of rejection. It's not your job to make them accept or love your story. You're just meant to tell it. And he tells the story, and we learn at the end of verse 34, he's kind of told them three different times, this is what's happened to me. They just don't accept it. They finally throw him out, and Jesus comes and encounters him. And I love in verse 38, we see Jesus uses his story to tell them the true gospel of what's going on. It goes back to what I talked last week, that when we sometimes need to serve to be heard, Jesus served his practical, tangible needs so that he could apply a deeper truth to what he really needed. And Jesus uses the same thing here. But, but even more so, once you see the rejection this man faced, he's now kicked out of church, he's not allowed to come, he doesn't care because he has had an experience with the living God. And Jesus, in verse 39, begins to explain why they didn't listen or why they rejected his story. Look what he says. He says, I came to this world for judgment in order that those who do not see will see and those who do see will be blind. He's saying, in other words, this, listen, at the end of the day, some just don't want to see. As much as you try to tell them, they don't want to listen, they like what's going on, they don't want to do it. And they've time and time again rejected his story from square one. They were not listening to anything he says. It was doomed from the beginning, but yet he still told a story. In verse 13 through 7, they tried to discredit the moral character of Jesus and the blind man, saying, this man's a sinner. You weren't really blind, you're lying. Let's get your mom and dad in here and talk about it. I mean, they're constantly trying to discredit him. They try to discredit the miracle itself. You see, in 18 through 23, they're like, we, we don't believe that. We don't believe that he was really blind. We don't believe any of your story. You even see at the end, they try to discredit their own blindness by elevating their own self-righteousness. They're like, you know what? We follow Moses. We don't know who you follow. We know who we are. We're better. Listen, they constantly try to reject and discredit his story. And that terrifies us from telling people our story sometimes. But you need to understand why people reject our story and get so defensive. The best person ever explains to me was a student intern I had with me named Shivan Patel. He's from India. He got saved later in life. And man, that dude was an evangelist. He would take our students to the mall and just walk in and cold evangelize people. Just walk. I mean, it was amazing to see what he did. And, and he, he goes, we, we'd meet in my office before. He's going to be like taking them to there on a Thursday and he would get giddy as, as much as like I could get giddy, uh, getting excited. And I, he goes, man, I can't wait. They're going to get rejected. And he's like, I'm like, dude, that's a terrible thing. Why are you getting excited about kids getting rejected? He goes, they, they need to learn something about the gospel. I said, what? He said this, the gospel is offensive. <laughs> they need to understand that. I said, what do you mean? Think about it. 
for, for you to accept the gospel, you have to understand you're a sinner. And your sins have, have done all this. And you can't save yourself. You're, you're a lost cause. But Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died on the cross for your sins. And if you would come to believe and receive and repent, listen, you will be saved too. That is offensive in nature. And people don't want to hear that. And if you don't believe Shiva, believe Jesus. Everyone knows John 3.16, but you know what he says in verse 19 through 21 right after that? John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world, right, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And we skip over the next part. And you know what he says in 19 through 21? Listen, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world. He's talking about himself. And people have loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Light exposes our worst flaws. And for people to respond to that is difficult. But what paves the way is when they hear other people that have done that trail before. This, this is what's happened in my life. This is what I've experienced. Notice in verse 40 that, listen, the, the, the Pharisees didn't not listen. They were just still processing. It says in verse 40, it says, some of the Pharisees who were with them heard these things and asked him, we aren't blind too, are we? They're, they're processing. Everything's going on, everything's seeing, everything that you said, they're processing. Like, are you, are you talking about us? Listen, no response doesn't mean they're not listening. It means maybe it's taking time. Some of you, or many of you, maybe have heard my story. Twelve years ago, I came out of an addiction of looking at images on the internet that, that consumed my life. I, I, I hid it for 13 years. No one knew it was going on. It consumed every aspect of it was, and I thought, man, I keep kicking this hat, and I couldn't. And finally, it took me confessing and owning it and dealing with it, talking to my wife about it and seeking help, and, and God transformed my life. And listen, God has convicted me and my wife that every opportunity we get, we're going to share that story because God has redeemed us out of that life. And the more I share that Torah, it's amazing. When I come across people, I get one or two responses. One is people who are hungry to get out of that lifestyle. And they're saying, what did you do? How did you do it? What do I need to do? Or the second person is this. is they say, oh, that's good for you. And they quickly try to dismiss and move on. Now, I'm not saying every case, but in a lot of cases, because they're living in that life and they're not ready to get rid of it. And I've been rejected in that way many times. But what's amazing to me is I share that with students and time and time again as a student minister. Listen, every year I get a call back from a student that was from four or five years ago. And they said, hey, I remember you telling us this. I'm dealing with the same thing. What do I do? Listen, just because they reject you in that moment doesn't mean they weren't listening. And, And you're just meant to plant seeds and let God do the rest. The question is, will you share your story? It's an important thing as you share your story. My question again is this, do you have a story to share? Everybody has a story to share. If you have experienced Jesus Christ, if you have been baptized, you've been saved, you have a story to share. My story was eight, nine years old at Holland Hills Baptist Church. Sitting at church, my parents would drag me there. I'd constantly try to talk my mom into not making us go. Man, Looney Tunes is on Sunday morning. It's the best cartoons. Like, can we stay in today? Think of how much fun family time we can have. And mom always made sure we were there and we we're faithful to coming. 
And Ms. Joanna Hughes, who's my teacher there every single week, and I'm sure she preached it several times. One day she just flat out in a group asked me, says, Eric, have, do, do you know Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior? And for whatever reason, in that moment, it caught my attention. I said, no. She said, well, do you want to talk about it? And we said, yes. And she began to walk me through, and I prayed to receive Christ. Listen, can I say my life was night and day different? No, but I understand something was different in me. And God started a process from that point on to get me where I am today. My life is drastically different. Your story may be different, but we share a common connection. And the important thing is that you, you just, just share it. Being on mission means at some point you have to tell someone your story. Too often we want to do good works, do good deeds, and be nice to people and think that's enough for them to understand the gospel. No, they need to hear a life transformed because it makes this come to life. And it makes what comes next week when we actually share the gospel with them much easier to take. When they hear a satisfied person that's experienced the joy and freedom that comes in being saved, and this can be yours too if you want it. So suddenly you have a captive audience that's saying, what do I need to do? So, so, I, so I'm asking you one more time, listen, what is your story? If there's a challenge for this week, every week there's a challenge, here, here it is right here. Know your story, practice your story, share your story. It saddens me how many Christians I talk to don't know their story. Or I sit and say, hey, can you tell me your story? It takes them 30 minutes tripling up because they've never, they've never told. They've never rehearsed it. They've never practiced it. You can tell it's never been spoken. Practice one. Listen, and then share your story with the people that you need to save and see what God can do. They might deny it, but you can say, listen, I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. Say what you want. I was blind, but now I see. And it's all because of Jesus, which was in the middle of it all. Do you have a story? And if not, listen, here's the thing. Would you like to start one today? There's a lot of people I talk to that their story is this, listen, I've just always been saved. I'm not saying you are or you're not. I, I, I can't. But, but at some point, where did you have an experience with God that transformed your life? And, and maybe it's baptism. You say, I don't know, but I remember when I come and publicize my faith that day, and, I, be, and I, made, I made it clear to everyone. You would have come and asked me, said, Eric, how do you know you're married? I wouldn't say, well, I just always have. We just always loved each other, I think. We just, it just kind of happened. No, I'd say, I'd say January 7, 2006, I stood before a congregation of people in front of everyone at Holland Hills Baptist Church and professed my covenant and love for this woman and my dedication to her. And, and there's no doubt in mind, I know when it happened. I know where it is. And my life has been different ever since. Can you say the same about your walk with God? So this is what I'm going to ask. Listen, where, where you're at, I just, I just want you to process for a minute. I'm going to ask you, bow your heads, close your eyes, and take a second just to think through the things I've been saying. Maybe, maybe you're convicted today because you realize you have never told a soul your story. Moms, dads, listen, grandpas, grandparents, have you ever told your kids your story? Will there come a day they will sit with a pastor and they talk about your life because it's over, and the pastor will say, were they a believer? And they go, yeah, I, I don't, I, I, they, they were at church faithfully, but I've never heard their testimony. Some of you in this room I know right now are convicted by what I said because you realize you, you don't know if you have a story or not. And you're walking out here today with uncertainty. And today is the day you need to respond to that. 
I'm going to say this too. Listen, with your head bowed, eyes closed. Some of you today maybe realize that you have professed faith in Jesus Christ, but you haven't been obedient in baptism. If you're the type of person that you will talk yourself out of it before you leave this room, I got good news for you today. I have swimming trunks and a shirt back there in the back room. We will baptize you today if you want to do that. What's your excuse going to be? And so as you bow your heads, you process and pray, we're going to have elders and other leaders available. I'll be up in the front. Pete will be up here in front with our elders. Stephen D. Riley will be in the back and others. Listen, if you need someone to talk to, you respond. But I'm just going to ask you to sit in this moment of silence and just process what is God speaking today. And Grant will lead us into worship when it's time.